This is gonna be outlined kind of in four parts as you can see on your handout there. So the first thing that we're gonna dive into is why this is so critical, why justification is needed. So if we look back to Job, um, a familiar story, but you know, Job in, in the midst of great suffering, in the midst of discussion with his, uh, his friends and their wise counsel, he asks, how can a man be in the right before God? How can a man be in the right before God? So in the opening prayer, we, you know, I reflected on our state as fallen sinful men, enemies of the Lord uh, when we're called. And so how, how is that person right before God? Uh, and how do we attempt to answer that? So if it's, if it's on our own, then it's like groping in the dark. And, and really is, is going to be futile. We're not, we're not going to get anywhere. So how we answer that has to begin with God and how he tells us uh, that we can be right with him. So um, tell me your name again. Stephen. Stephen. If you guys uh, can help me out in Romans chapter 1, if you'll read for us uh, verses 16 through 21. Romans chapter 1, verses 16 to 21. For I am not ashamed of the gospel, for it is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes, to the Jew first, and also to the Greek. For in it the righteousness of God is revealed from faith for faith, as it is written, the righteous shall live by faith. For the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men, who, by their unrighteousness, suppress the truth. For what can be known about God is plain to them, because God has shown it to them. For his invisible attributes, namely his eternal power and divine nature, have been clearly perceived ever since the creation of the world, in the things that have been made. For they are without excuse. For although they knew God, they did not honor him as God or give thanks to him, but they became futile in their thinking, and their foolish hearts were darkened. Yeah, thanks. So this is uh, going to kind of serve as, as our catalyst here. So Paul, he's, he's opening with his unabashed uh, proclamation of the gospel. He recognizes the gospel is the power of God for salvation, and so significant because he also identifies the wrath of God as being revealed from heaven against ungodliness, against the unrighteousness of man. And he defines the, uh, the state of man there, right? So what can be known about God is plain to us. God has revealed it um, through creation. So we see there, uh, it speaks of his invisible attributes his eternal power, his divine glory. So these are seen through creation, but man responds wrongly. Uh, although they knew God, they did not honor him as God. So God in his kindness reveals himself generally to humanity through creation, then specifically through his word, and most clearly in Christ. Uh, Dawson You'll grab Romans, if you flip over to chapter 2, 
Romans 2.13. Or Ben, you look like you're ready. Will you get us, Ben? For it is not the hearers of the law who are righteous before God, but the doers of the law who will be justified. Yeah. The doers of the law will be justified. That's all of us, right? We're, we're all the doers of the law. Uh, no, we're not. <laughs> Josh, help me out. Let's go to chapter 3 and read 9 through 20. Chapter 3, 9 through 20. What then? Are we Jews any better off? No, not at all. For we have already charged that both Jews and Greeks are under sin. As it is written, none is righteous, no, not one. No one understands. No one seeks for God. All have turned aside. Together they have become worthless. No one does good, not even one. Their throat is an open grave. They use their tongues to deceive. The venom of asps is under their lips. Their mouth is full of curses and bitterness. Their feet are swift to shed blood. In their paths are ruin and misery. In the way of peace they have not known. There is no fear of God before their eyes. Now we know that whatever the law says, it speaks to those who are under the law, so that every mouth may be stopped and the whole world may be held accountable to God. For by works of the law, no human being will be justified in his sight, since through the law comes knowledge of sin. Yeah, thanks. So Paul says, Jew, Greek, Gentile, there's, there's no difference. We are all under sin. None is righteous. And though we just read, doers of the law will be justified, says he concludes, by the works of the law, that no human being will be justified in God's sight. Because from the law comes the knowledge of sin. So the law serves its purpose, revealing sin to us, showing us sin, showing us our need for a righteousness that's, that's not originating with us, that comes another way. So back in uh, these verses that we looked at in these first chapters of Romans, shows us all people, Jews and Gentiles, stand condemned before God and the works of the law cannot justify us, will not justify us because we can't do it. We don't keep it. So with that foundation of why the doctrine of justification is needed, why it should be precious, um, let's dive into better understanding that term of justification, uh, how we can be right before God. So uh, going to section two there, uh, what is justification? So at the very beginning, um, as we looked at this, and being justified is to be not just righteous, but to be declared righteous. So if you want to look at it in a in a legal sense of a declaration or a judgment that we are righteous. So it's, it's not that something changes and we are made righteous. It's just this legal declaration. Uh, so we're going to look at a few examples in the Old Testament. I think are on the handout there. If a couple of you can start tearing there. Um, so the first we're going to look at is Deuteronomy 25. Uh, Zach, do you mind getting that one? And then Proverbs 17, Dawson, I'm going to come back to you. And then Exodus, you got me, Mark? All right, Exodus 23.7. So as we look at this, hopefully we're seeing this foundation uh, for the doctrine of justification. 
So Zach, uh, Deuteronomy 25.1. If there is a dispute between men and they come into court, and the judges <coughs> between them, acquitting the innocent and condemning the guilty. Yeah. So this, is, this assumes a judge judges rightly, right? So um, acquitting and justifying, acquitting or justifying the innocent and condemning the guilty. Uh, Dawson, Proverbs 17. He who justifies the wicked and he who condemns the righteous are both alike an abomination to the Lord. So this is, this is when it gets twisted, right? And so now we've got a, a wrong judgment, judging, um, judging the innocent as guilty, judging the guilty as innocent. So we see first, this is an abomination. And second, um, if we look at this, it's not changing the nature of that person, right? So it's an innocent person declared guilty they are still innocent. The guilty person is still guilty regardless of that. So if we can keep that in mind, I think it'll be helpful. The nature of the person stays the same. Just showing this example of the legal declaration here. All right, and then Mark uh, chapter 23, Exodus 23, 7. Keep far from a false charge and do not kill the innocent and righteous, for I will not acquit the wicked. Yeah, so the... So the Hebrew term here for acquit is uh, the same term used for justify. So acquit, justify. God will not acquit or justify the wicked. So again, as we do some self-reflection, um, that doesn't put us in the greatest spot um, on our own merit. And so... Easy, easy softball questions here. Nobody should get these wrong. But so what judgment is given to the innocent? What's the right judgment that should be given to the innocent? Judge them innocent. Yeah, they're acquitted. Not guilty. Yes. You guys are nailing this. Okay. So the wicked. What judgment is given to the wicked? I know we got some lawyers. You guys are doing great. <laughs> yeah. So for the wicked, it's condemnation, Right? So again, even if the judge gets it wrong, right, in this fallen world, whether intentionally, whether in error, the judge gets the, the judgment wrong. Um, so that verdict of condemnation or justification, while it stands, again, that nature of the person is, is not changed. If you're innocent, um, though given a guilty verdict, your nature uh, does not change in innocence. All right, let's go to the New Testament. Uh, again, I'll need a few readers here. So we're going to go, um, if somebody's already in Romans, we can just hit Romans 2.13. And then if somebody else will flip over, Mark, if you'll help me out and go over to Romans, or I'm sorry, Matt, if you'll go to Romans 8.33. And then who wants 1 Corinthians 4.4? Sam? All right. Thanks. So, uh, who's got us in Romans 2.13? Dawson, thanks. For it is not the hearers of the law who are righteous before God, but the doers of the law who will be justified. Okay. And Matt, Romans 
Who shall bring any change, any charge against God's elect? It is God who justifies. Yeah. So no one, no one brings a charge or condemns God's elect because He's the one that justifies. Um, and no, no, uh, no man's declaration is going to supersede God's declaration. And then Sam, 1 Corinthians 4.4. 4. For I am not aware of anything against myself, but I am not thereby acquitted. It is the Lord who judges me. Yeah, so here we see uh, God making the declaration. Paul, Paul's not aware of anything in himself, but he recognizes he's not the one that gets to make that legal declaration. So the term justification is used to denote a positional reality. Being justified is declared in right standing in relationship with God and his decrees. And the declaration is established by God's decrees. So as we talked about justification, not changing the the inner state or nature of man. uh, So it, it doesn't it doesn't particularly respond to the interstate of man. It's a declaration from the outside. Um, again, justification is not making us righteous. It is declaring us righteous in our position or our standing before God. So this is, again, kind of in parallel to other doctrines that uh, we've either recently looked at or soon to. So like sanctification, or as we look at it as pro- progressive sanctification. So this process that we are being made more and more like Christ from, uh, from our salvation through this life uh, to the end of this life, to the end of this uh, world. So this lifelong process, sanctification of the, the removing of the stain of sin or the pollution of sin. But alongside justification, justification is the removal of the guilt sin. So sanctification, kind of a, a cleansing of that pollution and tainting of sin, justification, the removing of that guilt. And so this is what I think is incredibly encouraging news, is sanctification, this process ongoing, we're always striving forward, desiring more, right, to be putting off the flesh and sin. But justification is complete. Your justification is complete. So there's... there's um, not more or less justification to occur. Uh, so as we look so much in the Christian life at the already and the not yet of the kingdom and of the life as a Christian, um, you know, I think it's encouraging. Justification is, is not in that camp. Justification is accomplished already. Um, so Sinclair Ferguson says, it is not possible to be more or less justified Justification is not subject to degrees, if you think of degrees of completion. So, um, now that we've kind of set this uh, tone for justification, being declared righteous, as we said in the beginning, all are guilty, all are unable to be justified before God. So, how does a good God justify anyone to declare us righteous? And then how in that is he still 
a just God that can condemn wickedness and evil. So that takes us into uh, part three on the handout there. How does justification work? So we're going to turn here to Romans 3, 21 through 26. Who would like to read Romans 3, 21 through 26? Matt, thank you. But now the righteousness of God has been manifested apart from the law. Although the law and the prophets bear witness to the righteousness of God through faith in Jesus Christ for all who believe. For there is no distinction. For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God and are justified by his grace as a gift through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus. whom God put forward as a propitiation by his blood to be received by faith. This was to show God's righteousness, because in his divine forbearance he had passed over the former sins. It was to show his righteousness at the present time, so that he might be just and the justifier, the one who has faith in Jesus. Yeah. Such a such a rich text, so much so much in those verses. Um, so righteousness of God coming through faith in Christ to all who believe. In faith through Christ. So no distinction. Again, going back, everyone has sinned, everyone's fallen short of the glory of God. And the justification we see here is that it's, it's a gift. It's the grace, by grace as a gift. Uh, through our redemption in Christ. Through the propitiation by his blood, and it's received by faith. And so this, this reconciles how we answer that question, that how does God justify a wicked sinner, um, but still able to judge sin? So justification is really, we're going to look at it in the sense of two elements. Uh, So Martin Luther called this the wonderful exchange. So part one, the forgiveness of sin. Part two, imputed righteousness. So part one, the forgiveness of sin. And part two, the imputed righteousness. I think that will help flesh this out a little bit more. So uh, the first element here, forgiveness of sin. This is often referred to as the negative aspect of justification. So um, negative in the sense of taking away or removal. Um, so it's, it's definitely wonderful. Um, so let's understand that rightly. Negative in the sense of removal. So here our sins are no longer counted against us who are being justified. Um, they, are, they are counted as gone from us. But again, not gone in the sense of erased uh, or just simply dismissed, not to be dealt with. Uh, those sins are placed on Christ. God's wrath is poured out against that sin on Christ on the cross because of our sin. And so Christ, who is righteous, Christ, who is the doer of the law, the only doer of the law, who is a propitiation for our sins, and therefore God is not, like we saw in Proverbs, the unjust judge that that turns away from sin and, and doesn't judge it. God remains just in his judgments. 
uh, for our sin. And it was against Christ. So Galatians 3.13 says, Christ redeemed us from the curse of the law by becoming a curse for us. For it is written, Cursed is everyone who is hanged on a tree. And look, going back to the prophet Isaiah, chapter 53, see, uh, he was crushed for our iniquities. It was the Lord's will to crush him. So the satisfaction of God's wrath by the blood of Christ, and Christ bore those punishments for our sins once for all as a substitute for us. Now, so we've looked at this first part, this forgiveness of sins. I think it's good uh, just to, to remember justification and forgiveness are not identical. Uh, so we see this as forgiveness as one leg of, of the two parts of justification. So when we are justified, we are forgiven of our sin, and that's half of it. But we also receive the positive aspect of justification or the, um, what's being added or attributed to us. So, um, we can look at this in the term of um, imputed righteousness, or we'll see it as really a double imputation. Is, um, or I think it, is, it could be helpful to think of uh, two transactions taking place. And so, um, back in Leviticus 17, 1 Samuel 22, uh, we see reference to this. And it, so the term imputed simply means to account something to someone else, to put on their account, uh, to represent it as being done or being possessed uh, by them. So when God, um, when God justifies a person, not only does he count that person's sins um, against Christ, in judging those, but he also accounts the righteousness of Christ to the sinner. So Jesus, he kept the law, he honored the law, he fulfilled the law, the law, and Christ was righteous where we were not. And so that, as our sin is um, laid upon Christ, Christ's righteousness is laid upon or accounted to us. Who are in Christ. So if I can get uh, 2 Corinthians 5.21. So I got that point. Thank you. 2 Corinthians 5.21. And then if I can get somebody else to be ready. Um, Zach, if you'll be ready for Philippians chapter 3. We'll look at 8 and 9. Alright, so 2 Corinthians 5.21. For our sake he made him to be sin, who knew no sin, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. Hmm. Made Christ to be sin. Alright, Zach? Indeed, I count everything as loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord. For his sake, I have suffered the loss of all things, and count them as rubbish, in order that I may gain Christ and may be found in him, not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but that which comes through faith in Christ, 
the righteousness from God that depends on faith. Yeah, thanks. So hopefully in these, in 2 Corinthians, you get a really clear picture of this, this, these two transactions. Uh, Christ, who knew no sin, um, was made uh, to be sin in us, that we would receive the righteousness of God. And then in Philippians, being found in Christ, not having a righteousness from us. So again, we said this is, it has to come from outside of us. And we see here, again, depending on faith. This, this is received in faith. So uh, as we look at how this applies to us, it's, it's exactly that. It's received in faith. Now, in this, I would, I would just uh, say faith should not be seen as a work in itself. Um, we're going to refer to it as an instrument. Uh, so we're going to uh, look at a comment from J.I. Packer here in a little bit. And so he, he, he uses that language of faith as an instrument. In fact, faith being the only instrument through which the imputed righteousness of Christ can be received. Uh, so... Does anybody uh, know or could quickly turn to Hebrews 11, verse 1, as we see uh, the writer of Hebrews here in their description of faith? Does anybody know that or can quickly get that? Faith is... Now faith is the assurance of things hoped for and the conviction of things not seen. Yeah, the assurance of things hoped for and the conviction of things not seen. So wrapped up in this faith is a few things. So one, our acknowledgement of our ungodliness, our unrighteousness, uh, our awareness and confession of our sin. And then with that being the case that we're looking toward Christ for a righteousness that's, that's not our own, that doesn't come from us, that's being uh, counted toward us or imputed to us because of his sacrifice on our behalf. So faith is our conscious trust in Christ and not in ourselves to be right with God. Uh, Ephesians 2, Ephesians 2, 8 and 9, For by grace you have been saved through faith. This is not of your own doing. It is the gift of God, not as a result of works, so that no one may boast. So again, by the grace of the Lord, a gift of God, not the result of works. Uh, so I'll, I'll turn to a couple of external sources here just to give some, some light to this. So Martin Lloyd-Jones puts it this way. He says, if we had not been given the gift of faith, we could not receive the righteousness of Christ. But we are justified by the righteousness of Christ, not our faith. We are justified by the righteousness of Christ, not by our faith. And J.I. Packer, faith is our act, but is not our work. It is an instrument of reception without being a means of merit. So a good way to just kind of conclude with this idea, if a man is justified by grace, then it's impossible to be justified by works. So in this, I think... Perhaps to me, perhaps to you guys, uh, it kind of 
begs the question, well, what, what about James's writings on faith and works, right? Is, is Paul here in Romans, uh, particularly in Romans 3 as we've been looking, is this in contradiction with uh, James? So if, uh, it's a few verses here. If I can get a volunteer that wants to read about 10 verses in James chapter 2, who would like to get that? Thank you. All right, so we're going to look in James chapter 2, verses 17 to 26. So also faith by itself, if it does not have works, is dead. But someone will say, you have faith and I have works. Show me your faith apart from your works, and I will show you my faith by my works. You believe that God is one. You do well. Even the demons believe and shudder. Do you want to be shown, you foolish person, that faith apart from works is useless? Was not Abraham our father justified by works when he offered up his son Isaac on the altar? You see that faith was active along with his works, and faith was completed by his works. And scripture was fulfilled that says, Abraham believed God, and it was counted to him as righteousness. And he was called a friend of God. You see that a person is justified by works and not by faith alone. And in the same way, was not also Rahab the prostitute justified by works when she received the messengers and sent them out by another way? For as the body apart from the spirit is dead, so also faith apart from works is dead. Yeah, thanks. So what do you guys think? What do you, what do you see here as um, this possible or this apparent contradiction or differing... Uh, Different teaching we get from James and Paul. So both are inspired, right? Inspired word of God, true and right. Um, does does God's word contradict itself here, Dawson? Well, it kind of goes back to the two elements: the removal and the addition. Where we have the addition of the uh, righteousness of Christ. So from that, and with the Holy Spirit, we should have fruit of the Spirit and works from our justification and sanctification versus if you're just having forgiveness of sins that's the removal but it's not the whole of justification mm-hmm. yeah thanks that's good that's anybody yeah. one of the most helpful ways I've been told to look at this is um, like Paul is arguing um, pre-salvation and James is arguing post-salvation so he's arguing after after that uh, I guess you could say line of salvation uh, what Paul was arguing prior to that, that mm-hmm. line of salvation um, you know to get in is by faith alone but if you're in and there's no works that are accompanying that faith it's hard to say that you were in I called it. Hey, hey, I called it too. Before class, I called it. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Um, all right. Yes. No. And we're gonna. I think we're gonna kind of pull the string on that a little bit and look at that here in a in a moment. Um, before we do any. Yeah, Matt. Christ's righteousness merited to us. 
mechanism to demonstrate a, a truth claim of a prior, uh, or the truth of a prior claim, right? As, as with Abraham. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Uh, so uh, we're not talking about the same justification. Yeah, yeah. I think that's important, the word yeah. justified is yes. different there. Different, used differently. And then it's more like this evidence of this correct thing. Yeah. I would argue different. <laughs> Go ahead. Yeah. Well, the, the the way I would argue different is that you can say that the works that we are are, are um, exercising are the works that were given to us in Christ. Right. So that we are justified by works, but those works are are imputed to us in Christ, and we are uh, living out the works that are uh, that are imputed to us in Christ. So we're truly justified by the works. But those works are Christ's works. Mm. Mm. So I, so I think I fall more on, as I mentioned, like fully justified. In that, like, if you're in Christ, you are justified. You are, you are no more justified as you continue in works, which God has prepared for us to do. Um, in Christ, you are justified. Um, go ahead, Caleb. Yeah. So, I understand things very well through analogies, and I think that's the way that it's actually being communicated in the Old Testament. They brought up Rahab. Rahab was justified because the spies came in, and she believed that the God of the Israelites was more powerful than hers. She's in a walled city. Everyone else in the city is also afraid of this God that is about to roll into town and do some serious business. Uh, but she aligns herself with these two spies and says, remember me. That's how she got saved. Um, in another sense, whenever the Israelites are about to cross over the Red Sea, the instruction that Moses gives them is, stand back and do nothing. The Lord will fight for you. They don't do anything. And I guess the way that works work is that, you know, if you are, if a very bad people put you into a prison and you and your entire family know that well if you're in that prison you hopefully can you know still teach your children you can still you know do basically good things to keep your society running in this gigantic prison camp uh, but you're not going to get out of that prison camp by doing those good things uh, someone needs to truly break you out and the person who truly breaks you out is Jesus Christ. How did that happen? The same way that Rahab did, which is, okay, I know, like, I know what, you, what you've got, I'm, I'm with you. Uh, but once you get out of that prison camp, if you don't still do those good works, then you're one of the bad guys who, is, who was working with the people to put you in. And so it's, it's just an illustration of whose side you're on. Um, the instruction is not, don't fight your way out of the prison camp. You can't do that. But you've been broken out. So now do what, mm -hmm. at least what Ephesians says, is um, for we are his workmanship created in Christ Jesus for good works. That's the whole point. Mm -hmm. Like, good works is the whole point. And then which God prepared before him that we should walk in them. So, like, our entire purpose of existing is for good works. But they don't break us out of the prison. It's only Christ Jesus. Yeah. That's awesome. Yeah. No, that's good. I think that's... Uh that's helpful. So we'll look at um, look at these. So 
You know, you guys have already have pointed to this and um, probably stolen many of my talking points already. So, uh, but yes, James does give us two examples here. So we see Abraham justified by works when he offered up his son Isaac on the altar. And we see Rahab justified by works when she received the messengers, the spies, and then sent them out another way. So we'll, we'll take a moment to look at that. I, I will offer there is, there is not a contradiction between James and Paul. Um, and so, again, y'all, y'all have talked about those. We'll kind of uh, draw that out a little bit. Uh, so, so one thing, um, real quick, that, that, that wasn't really brought up um, is the view that Paul and James are... Um, so this was said, yes, they are not using justification in the same way. Um, to go a little deeper there, Paul is talking about righteousness before God. James is talking about righteousness being proven before man. So Paul's righteousness before God, James says, I will show you, I will show you man, I will show you my works. Um, all right, number two, I think we see particularly in the example of Abraham. Um, so what James refers to is the call for um, the testing of Abraham. So Abraham has this promise of offspring. He is in his, in his old days miraculously giving offspring, right? So the promise of God being fulfilled. And now God tests him, will you... You know, will you obey? I ask you to give this to me. Will you obey? And Abraham is willing, says he was justified by those works. But, uh, so that's Genesis 22. Rewind to Genesis 15. Genesis 15, 6. Years and years earlier. It says, Abraham believed the Lord and he counted it to him as righteousness. So years before the act, the trust and the belief in God is accounted to Abraham as righteousness. And then, and then we have the test that evidences it. And then uh, lastly, I, um, I like John Piper and, and his illustration of this. Uh, also finding it not to be a contradiction between the two. Uh, he says... James is not contradicting Paul. James is correcting a misinterpretation of Paul's teaching, of Paul's instruction, uh, which I, to me, I, I see a lot of merit there. So even Paul says, uh, you know, you see in Paul's writings where he's combating this, um, should we let sin abound more so that good comes from it, so that grace abounds? Uh, so I think there we already see uh, Paul addressing that, but, but James, in very, uh, very firm language, addresses that particularly. And then to Rahab. So, uh, yes, yes, exactly. Uh, Rahab, what was she trusting in for her salvation? Uh, so the city of Jericho is to be destroyed, um, and... Uh, let's look at Joshua chapter 2 and just see this verse 
Joshua chapter 2, and we're going to look at verses 9 through 11. So, Ben, will you get that for us? Sure. Before the men lay down, she came up to them on the roof and said to the men, I know that the Lord has given you the land, and that the fear of you has fallen upon us, and that all the inhabitants of the land melt away before you. For we have heard how the Lord dried up the water of the Red Sea before you when you came out of Egypt, and what you did to the two kings of the Amorites who were beyond the Jordan, to Sihon and Og, whom you devoted to destruction. And as soon as we heard it, our hearts melted, and there was no spirit left in any man because of you. For the Lord your God... He is God in the heavens above and on the earth beneath. The Lord your God, He is God in the heavens above and on the earth beneath. So Rahab recognizes here the God of Israel is the one true God. That's where she is looking to her salvation, um, where she is entrusting herself. So, uh, hopefully this is helpful. We see here uh, this, this resolution of how God can be just and God can be the justifier simultaneously. Just in dealing with sin, as he still judges our sin, as his wrath is still poured out on our sin, as we look at that being imputed to Christ. And then our justifier and putting uh, Christ forth as that, that substitute. Um, and so he's able to do this without compromise to his character um, or his law. So going to the last section there, um, how do we respond? So we looked at a need for our justification. Uh, we've kind of delved into defining that. Um, We've looked at um, how justification works. So in these, these last minutes, uh, let's look at how we respond in that. Uh, so foremost, we said, Who's, whose work is this? God. This is the Lord's work. This is God's work. So are we boasting in our own efforts? And what we've accomplished that we've um, done. So, but how does how does man typically try to be justified from our sin? What do we see? We see um, like mor- moral niceties, right? Like we see in man's attempt um, that we may try to have these these acts of of um, moral moral uprightness. Uh, of, you know, putting away sin, um, but that that is not our response. Our response is that we boast in Christ, uh, not in our works. So any any uh, acts of our own, we we saw no one will be justified by those works. So First Corinthians. Chapter 1 says, says this in 30 and 31. And because of him, you are in Christ Jesus, who became to us wisdom from God, righteousness and sanctification and redemption. So that it is written, let the one who boasts, boast in the Lord. Let the one who boasts, boast in the Lord. 
And he begins, because of him. It is because of him that we are in Christ. And then to look uh, just one more time at uh, a comment from Sinclair Ferguson that I think is helpful. If justification is by faith, if justification is by faith, then it must be by grace. And if it's by grace, then it is unmerited and boasting ceases. So we boast only in Christ. And then second, I will offer, we, we praise the Lord. We praise the Lord for His glorious grace. Um, so the greatest way we can, can honor God in this and, and is, is trusting in the Lord, right? Is to behold the righteousness of Christ that is not our own, um, that, that we need, right? So to recognize who God is and His goodness and rightness, to recognize us and our fallenness and our brokenness and our helpless estate, that we are, that we are dead in our trespasses, in, those, in any works that we would do, we are dead. And then to see the gospel is glorious, to trust in that gospel. Um, so that, that uh, shows our acknowledgement and our dependence on the Lord. And then, as said, like once you're set free, that is shown in how you live, right? So, and that's, I think, goes to James's point is we're, you know, you show me your faith great i show you my faith with my works like in christ good works should abound um and that's that would be i mean that would be cause for great concern right to be years down the road as a christian and not be walking in in the good works that the lord has prepared us um but um all right and then uh just also in that, that God's salvation is ultimately for the praise of His glorious grace. So going back to the Westminster Catechism, the chief and the man, glorify God and enjoy forever. to glorify God and enjoy Him forever. So as we respond, glorify God and enjoy God. And may this, uh, this doctrine of justification encourage us and strengthen us and that we would rejoice in this completed work that God has done on our behalf. So uh, I will close with a reading from Ephesians 1. So if you guys want to follow along and then um, we'll have just a couple of moments for discussion and then uh, we'll break loose to get our kids. So Ephesians 1, uh, chapter 1, verses 3 to 14. Blessed be the God and who blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places, even as He has chosen us in Him before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy in love. He predestined us for adoption to Himself as sons through Jesus Christ, according to the purpose of His will, to the praise of His glorious grace, with which He has blessed us in the Beloved. In Him we have... Redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of our trespasses, according to the riches of his grace, which he lavished upon us in all wisdom and insight, making known to us the mystery of his will, 
according to his purpose, which he set forth in Christ as a plan for the fullness of time to unite all things in him, things in heaven and things on earth. In him we have obtained an inheritance, having been predestined according to the purpose of him who works all things according to the counsel of his will, so that we who were first, we who were the first to hope in Christ might be to the praise of his glory. In him you also, when you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, and believed in him, you were sealed with the promised Holy Spirit, who is the guarantee of our inheritance until we acquire possession of it to the praise of his glory.